0: It's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 476 for February 17th, 2017. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Booth Shots, and we are back with programming by Stealth. I believe this is episode 30 of X now, Bart. It is indeed. I mean, it, it's been so long since I've been on. I mean, I haven't talked to you in ages. <laughs> it was fun having you sneak in last week and uh, give us some IPv6 knowledge. That was really, really good. I enjoyed the, the heck out of that. Learned a lot.
1: Actually, since you mentioned IPv6, we should make a small correction. Um, we, we, were, we, we left out a subtlety. Um, so we said, I think I said, yeah, yeah, I mean, MAC addresses are 64 bits and you just shove in the MAC address. Well, MAC addresses can be. 64 bits but most of the time they're 48 bits and there's just there's a there's there's a newer format for mac addresses and there's a rule that converts the 48 bit representation to 64 bit so everything i said last week is true if you first convert the mac address to 64 bits
0: <laughs> so mac that addresses are bit. are 64 bits if you convert them to 64 bit first
1: yeah there's a format i it's a three letter acronym 64 and the old format a is uh, mac 48 yeah. E-U-I or something like right. that. Or yeah, I had a U in it
0: somewhere. Maybe an and I. And an E
1: and an I. <laughs> well, a couple I of what. possibilities there. But anyway.
0: I think we should write something up uh, for uh, the, the regular show since it was uh, part of, well, no, actually it was part of, uh, of uh, Chit, Chit, Chit Chat. Chit. Yeah. But I should write something up because I want to tell my logarithm story too. I'm still so ah. proud of that. I called my brother to tell him about it.
1: <laughs> but some, it's, you were saying you might have less content for the show. Maybe you can you do, do a section on logarithms.
0: <laughs> yeah, because of my vast knowledge level. Well, yeah, anyway, more than me. you would think by uh, programming myself 30 of X, I would know everything. But uh, we got a long way to go and a lot of fun to have still, right?
1: Oh, goodness me. I, we have so many, the entire continents we haven't even looked at. So, you know, we're like the pre-Columbus world. Well, except for the fact that the Vikings were in America. Anyway, you know what I mean. <laughs> there's, there's there's, a lot of unexplored country here. All right. Great. Um. So we're going to continue with our two-track approach. And I think we may be doing this two-track approach for a while, actually, because it's kind of working. I kind of like it. Yeah. Uh, the
0: The only thing I'm worried about is that I'm not getting any practice yet with, like, making the buttons. I really want to practice yeah, I know, that, because
1: too. Be, that's Before it because... gets too hard. <laughs> It's it's not about it getting too hard. It's about we we just, we're not done laying foundations. We we got to lay foundations here. It is coming, and I am not. I have not forgotten. Okay. But for now, I, I, the the homework definitely needs to be on the other side.
0: All right. Well, um, definitely. I, I can use as much repetition as you can get. By the way, when I was talking to my brother, he was saying one of the ways he learns something as hard as this is he's retired and he's decided he doesn't know enough about <laughs> chemistry. So bought chemistry books of all things. But uh, so he's crazy. But anyway, he um, he said one of the things he does is he reads repeatedly really fast, lots of things on the same subject. And he says that the more overload he can get of information, the better he can start to see patterns in repetition. Huh. And he says, if I don't understand something, I just keep reading. If something clicks, I stop and I pay attention. But if I don't understand, I just keep plowing through and then I read another one on another thing on another thing. And pretty soon I start going, hey, wait a minute, that's familiar. Huh,
1: that's Isn't interesting. Yeah. I, I would never have approached things that way. I tend to just get despondent when I don't understand stuff and <laughs> quit, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway. Yes, okay. So our twin track approach. So today we're going to continue on with our JavaScript prototypes and actually. Our our twin track is changing a little bit from today because it's not strictly, well, it's not actually revision anymore. When you do something for the first time, it's very hard for me to say, no, we're revising, (laughs) Alison. Okay. So it's still about prototypes and it's still about making our objects better. But it's something that we haven't actually done in any sort of detail at all so far in the series. So it's actually new stuff and new stuff uh, that we're doing today. Okay. Um, So and the, actually so the, the first half is about the it sounds simple we're going to learn how to compare objects to each other mm-hmm. sounds like it should be simple but there's an awful lot more to it than you might think and then the second thing i'm going to do is i'm going to introduce you to a um an accessibility standard that's going to become very important when we dig deeper into web forms oh okay cool. and given given your audience i think it's particularly important that we, we we don't we don't skip over it a lot of people would teach you all everything to do about web forms and then at the very end, roll back and say, oh, yeah, and if you want them to be accessible, you've got to change this, and you've got to change that, and you've got to change the other, and you've got to... And it's like, but why no, do I, it
0: that way? Why not start with it accessible? That's way easier to build accessibility in.
1: Exactly. So in order to make that possible, I want to do a big picture, 20,000-foot view of this thing called ARIA. And mm-hmm. we're not going to go into any sort of detail, but until, you, uh, until I at least explain the the vague concepts we can't really go any further with our web forms so i don't want you to think that oh my god we've got to learn all of aria no we just got to learn what pieces there are so that we can mention the fact that in aria roles are important and things like that so it's going to be a a big picture overview and i don't want you to worry about the fact that there's no detail that's that's on purpose
0: okay well we're getting the detail detail on the other side so we've got some of each
1: Exactly. And so basically big idea is we're going, to, we're going to do the detail of ARIA as we need it. So when it comes to doing checkboxes, then we'll talk about that aspect of ARIA. When it comes to doing radio buttons, then we'll talk about that aspect of ARIA. Oh,
0: OK. But, but now we we'll just want why know, it's there and the basic idea of what it does.
1: Yeah, the problem it solves and the big picture concepts it uses to solve that problem. Because the concepts are obviously the most important thing to have right. And then I can say, well, this is an example of an ARIA role. But until I tell you what an ARIA role is, that's not much help.
0: Okay. Okay. The only thing I would change about what you said was, uh, considering my audience, I think, they're, uh, I think it's all of our audiences, right? If you're making stuff for the web, yeah. there's blind people out there trying to read it. So uh, it, it's, yes. it's to everybody's advantage. I gave a lecture on this at, uh, I was on the board of the computer science department at uh, Santa Monica City College, and I was really stressing to them that they needed to take their, they had an accessibility program, mm-hmm. that, like a class you could take. And yeah. it was like, no, 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 chop it up and put a little bit of it in every single class instead of trying to say, OK, afterwards, we're going to go back and repaint the whole house so somebody can see it. You know, that just doesn't make yeah. any sense.
1: And the same the same argument is one I would always make about security. It's not a bolt on that you stick on as, as an extra course at the at the end of your degree. No, it's something you're supposed to be thinking about the entire way through your degree program.
0: You'd have been so proud of so, me. That's exactly what I said. I said, these two things have to be part of the foundation of every class you teach. Don't make it separate. If you make it separate, that, then you miss the whole point.
1: And perhaps uh, another argument I personally would make is that ethics should be in there from day one as well.
0: Gosh, I might have actually had that in there too. I believe in it That's for <laughs> sure. You don't have ethics. You've you've missed all of it too. So, all
1: yeah, right. And it's not something you teach afterwards. Okay, so... Um, Step one, solution to the challenge set last time. All of my code is in the show notes. And as you can possibly tell, our prototypes are getting big. Yeah. Um. So 422 lines before we begin the test code. So that's 422 lines of code we've written. And that's pretty good going. And our prototypes are working pretty well. So to be honest, there's actually nothing in the solution I particularly want to draw your attention to because... Ultimately, it is just do the same as I did. So this week's assignment was very heavy on repetition rather than on pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Yeah. So, so unless there's anything you wanna you want me to to particularly stress in the solution, but I, I sort of think it's it, it's self-evident and that we we should just move into the new stuff. But I'm I'm think, open I to. I think so too.
0: I just wanted to say to the audience that um I sent Bart my solution after not having worked on it very long, and I was able to do it. And and I kind of had the same feeling that you just expressed there as I looked at it, and went. Wow, that's a lot of code and I kind of understand most of it. (laughs) I won't pretend I understand all of it, you know, and can repeat it yet, but I each time we go through it, I'm getting a little bit more, you know, the lights are flickering on all over the house now and some of them are shining quite brightly. A few are still a little dim, but, but they're coming along. And, uh, each time we go through it, I'm getting a little bit closer. Um, I was also talking to Bart about, uh, the test driven development that we're going to get to later and I, uh, it really helps me understand it to do this test driven development. And and I know I'm teasing the audience, but Jill has taught it to me and and brought it up to Bart and it helped me understand what his tests were doing because I could run his tests and they would work, but I didn't know, you know, whether that was really the boundary conditions I should have been testing or, or how it should have worked. But I'm kind of getting, I kind of like the clone thing. I kind of, it kind of makes sense to me.
1: Okay, good. Um, and yeah, so test-driven development is going to be our first bit of software engineering that we do in this series. So far, we've only been doing sort of basic programming, sort of have have at it and see how we get on. But software engineering, it, it takes things to a whole other level. And test-driven development is definitely software engineering. You know, arguably not the most complex software engineering in the world, but that doesn't matter. It is. It's a process. It's a, a, a method of doing things. It's, so that'll be our first bit of software engineering. And that's important, I think, because... When you're doing 10 or 15 lines of code, engineering is overkill. Mm-hmm. But when you're starting to do stuff for real, it, it helps to actually have a, a way, a correct method, a well thought out approach, a design to how you're going to do these things. And test driven development is one of a massive menu of different techniques you could use. But it, it's, it's quite a nice option, actually, because, it, again, we're all teasing the audience now, but it, it makes you think about what the outcome should be before you write the code. So yeah. basically, decide what you want, decide how you want this to work, write your test, and then write your code. And if they meet your test, well, then you have succeeded. And if they don't meet your test, you have not yet succeeded, and you must keep going.
0: Right? Because so it's, it's a you good way to an do it. that fakes you out if you don't do it in that in that order. Yeah.
1: yeah. All right. And it also it also works well for longer term stuff, stuff that's going to be with you over time. So if you're if you're writing a library of code, you're going to keep using over time. Having the tests there is invaluable because when you make a change. You don't have to ask yourself, God, I wonder what I've broken. Just run your tests again.
0: Oh, right, right, right. That's a good if point. If your
1: tests still pass, you haven't broken anything. You haven't made it worse.
0: I think your tests um, can also show uh, other developers using your code what it was it was supposed to do. If you haven't documented it as well as maybe you should have.
1: I would prefer documentation for that, but it is an indirect true. form of documentation because it definitely does explicitly say this should happen when you do this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, I wouldn't say it's a substitute for documentation. I certainly wouldn't use it like that. Anyway. Okay. So at this stage in the game, our prototypes are doing pretty well. And what they're lacking now is not there's no more bad smells. There's nothing here that stinks. The only thing is we, it would be nice if we could do something we can't do. So this is an enhancement. And what we actually can't do at the moment is tell if two times are the same. If you make a time called T1 and another time called T2, how can you tell they are the same? Hmm. You might think we can use double equals or triple equals. But we can't because those don't do what you think they do. So they work very well for values. So booleans, numbers, strings, they work perfectly for that. But they completely fail when it comes to objects because what they actually check for is whether or not they are the same object. If two variables reference oh. the same object, they will be double and triple equals to each other. But if two, if two objects contain the same value but are not the same actual object, they will never double equals each other. So I have some code oh. here to prove that to you. So, so, so it's
0: like uh, identical twins are not the same person.
1: Right. Even the, yes, exactly. even
0: if they're identical,
1: yeah, and so all that's being tested here is are you identical twins? so double equals and triple equals just means are you not just identical twins, are you the same person, not right. a person who not an identical is twin <laughs> not an identical twin yeah so uh, if you I don't know if you want to use code runner while we while we sure. talk, uh, but we have some examples here. Why isn't coderunner coming up on this computer? What's well, coming up on mine. <laughs> Yeah, I'm starting to wonder that i had not installed it on this Mac. Oh. I ha- when I search for it, what I get is an email from you saying, "By the way, it's in the Mac App Store."
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oops. So I probably don't have it here. But anyway, um, I did test it beforehand, so you you, you oh, could definitely I need run to it. Change
0: oh. it to console. Log though.
1: Yes, you do. Oh, sugar, that's. I will note to self. I will fix that in the show notes.
0: Yeah, we're all out. We're all out of that uh, that little
1: playground. Right yeah. Yeah, I, I pre-wrote some of these installments quite some time in advance.
0: Let's see. So I can't say pbs.time Time either. I, am I supposed to be adding this to my? I'm supposed to be
1: adding this to yes, my code. Yes, pop, pop this at the bottom of yeah. So take my giant big solution and then just pop this in underneath and do a find okay. and replace on the PBS. That says oh, that's not as easy. Okay, that's that's okay. I'm cranking myself now.
0: Oh, I can do it. All right. So maybe talk through.
1: through. uh, Let's walk through. Because before we run it, let's see what we think it should do. So we say var t1 equals new pbs.time 12,0. So we're using the constructor to build us a new object, which we're initializing to 12 noon. And then we say var t2 equals new pbs.time 12,0. So we're building a whole other new object. And we're also setting it to be 12 noon. So t1 and t2 are not the same object. They were both created separately but they do contain the same internal values. And what you might think is that if you say T1 double equals T2, you would get true. Or if T1 triple equals T2, you might get true. But when you run them, you will see the console.log gives you false false.
0: So even though the time is possibly noon, Noon, depending on your perspective, they're both noon, they aren't the same object.
1: Exactly. Okay. If we we then say var T3 equals T1. Uh, equals, becomes. Becomes equal to, is set equal to, yes. Uh Var T3 becomes equal to T1. And then we do a T1 double equals T3 or a T1 triple equals T3. They will both go to true because those are two references to the same object. And that is considered to be the same by double equals and triple equals.
0: So when you say var T3 equals T1 and T1 is an object, then T3 is the same object. So if T1 changes, T3
1: changes. Exactly. Okay. And so all you can use double and triple equals for is to see if they are, if you have two references to the same object, which okay. is an important thing to be able to do. But it's not what you all you want. Because, yeah, you want to be able to actually say, do these two different times represent the same time? And we can't do that yet.
0: Oh, OK. Now, OK, right.
1: In most languages, there's, a, there, there's, a, there's an official mechanism for doing that kind of thing. JavaScript does not provide us with an official mechanism for doing that. Oh, really? And what's more surprising is it doesn't even provide us with a best practice way of doing it. Basically, the community were left to figure it out by themselves. And there are a couple of popular approaches, but there is no canonical, official, correct way. So what I have decided to do is what an awful lot of the community have also decided to do. Pretend that JavaScript is Java and just do things the way Java tells you you have to do them.
0: So just set up a rule for yourself that's the same as the rule that Java uses. But in reality, you could do it other ways. Precisely. Okay.
1: don't tell me And what this comes down to is naming. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, what it comes down to is naming convention. So in Java, if you want to make two objects comparable, you must provide a function named equals. Yeah. Well in JavaScript, you mustn't. You can call it anything you like, you can call it boogers and snot. You can call it absolutely Ice. anything. Ice. But I would strongly suggest that you adopt Java's rule, which in JavaScript was just a convention, and call we're basically gonna make two functions. One is called dot equals and one dot compare to. Okay. Uh, dot equals will return true if the two are if so you're going to call dot equals on an object so you're going to the way you're going to imagine it in the finished product is you would say t1 dot equals t2 and
0: is that asking a question or declaring it
1: it is asking a question so if t1 dot equals t2 or var are equal is assigned equal to T1 dot T2. You're calling, you're calling a function on T1 and passing T2 as an argument, and the result will be either true or false. True okay. if they represent the same information, false in all other instances.
0: Okay. So they could be references to the same object and come back. No. if It references... would still be true. No, it'd still be yeah, true because is... they reference the same object. They therefore have the same values. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right.
1: And false, if they in any way are different. So if, if one of them is 12 o'clock and one of them is 4 o'clock, well, they're different. Return okay. false. If you pass it a completely garbage value, return false, because that's definitely not equal to the current time. So that's dot equals, which is the simpler of the two. And dot compared to isn't much more complicated, but its role in life is not just to tell you are they equal, but also to tell you how they are relative to each other, if that's possible. And with times and dates, that is possible. So compare2 will return minus one if, uh, let me just make sure I say this right. So the... the, 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 the. I, I Compared missed
0: to, it. What is, what is compare2 going to do?
1: It's going to return minus one, zero, or one. Minus one if one is less than the other, zero if they're equal, and plus one if it's the other way around.
0: Oh, well, so when you the, compare Can you give two, me a use case for that? So okay, so let's say
1: work. you have five o'clock and six o'clock. Compare to would return that five is before six.
0: So is that a negative or a positive number?
1: Uh, I need to double check. Depends on the order of how you type it. Depends on the order you call them in, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, okay. Depends. All right. on. But the idea is compare to allows you to sort things. Compare to effectively gives you the sort order. Okay. So should five o'clock be sorted before six o'clock? Okay. All right. Should six, Yeah. And if they're both five o'clock, then they should be sorted the same. So they return zero. So it's it's more as more powerful. Okay. So let's start with the easy one. The easy one is dot equals. So below is the sample code for adding dot equals to our pbs.time prototype. So we say pbs.time their prototype that equals e- equals <laughs> that doesn't say very well but you you know what i mean the equals becomes, symbol becomes equals. becomes function and then it's going to take as an argument one argument which i am calling obj for object. Okay. And the first test I'm going to do is very simple. If type of obj not equal to object return false. If you have handed me something that isn't even an object, there is no point in my trying to compare the content of that object to see if it's the same time as this one. It couldn't possibly be the same time. It's not even an object.
0: That makes sense. So we just
1: return false. And it's important to return false because if you try to do a dot time or something, you know, if you try to do a dot underscore time or something on something that doesn't have a time, an underscore hours property whatever, it's going to throw an error. So you don't even want to do that kind of impossible test. Just basically run away if it's not an object. So just type of object not equal to object return false. OK. The next thing is, if it is an object, is it another PBS dot time? Because if it isn't another PBS dot time, then it also makes no sense to try compare it at a deeper level. It's you you know, I asked you, is is this donkey the same as this elephant? Well, we're done here. It couldn't possibly be. One of them's a donkey, one of them's an elephant. So we're saying if not obj instance of pbs.time also return false. Hmm. So at this stage we know whatever they gave us, it is a time. So it is actually conceivably possible that these things are equal. Okay. So then we have to test each piece. So what what is a time made up of? A time is made up of three numbers. hours minutes and seconds. Uh. So two times are equal if both of their hours are equal to each other, and both of their minutes are equal to each other. And both of their seconds are equal to each other. So return obj dot underscore hours triple equals this dot underscore hours. And obj underscore minutes triple equals this dot underscore minutes. And obj underscore seconds Triple equals this dot underscore seconds.
0: So if you've got if hours, minutes, and seconds are uh, the same, then you've got true, true, and true, which resolves to true. But if say hours was the same and seconds was the same, but in minutes was false, you'd have true, false, true, which would become false.
1: Exactly. So if it, with the way an and works when you chain an and together, if any one of them becomes false, the total answer becomes false. Yeah. And so it is actually quite quick, and it's it's not a particularly long piece of code. But once you've added that in. We can now redo our example, only this time we can get same results. So this time we're gonna say var t1 equals new pbs.time twelve comma zero, just like before. Var t2 equals new pbs.time twelve, comma zero. So just like before, we now have two times that contain the same value, but are not uh, but are not the same object. They're two separate objects. So now if we do a t1 a dot equals t2, the result is True, and I have a typo in my show notes because t two dot equals t one. The result is also true, right? Be- and they should be. It's important if so you've written your s- dot equals function correctly. It should always be symmetrical. If time one is equal to time two, then it follows that time two really should be equal to time one. And if you get <laughs> if the symmetry isn't there, you've done it wrong. There's something gone terribly, horribly wrong. So
0: let me, uh, let me stop you for just a second. So yeah. um. We've got pbs.time.prototype.equals, and it takes in a function, becomes a function of this thing we're calling obj, which is an mm-hmm. object that we've determined is indeed a time. And we're going to know whether it's true or false. But now we're saying mm-hmm. uh, t1 is new pbs.time, 12.0. Mm-hmm. So I understand we've, we've created a new object, and it's called mm-hmm. t1, and it has the values of 12 and 0 for hours and minutes. Um. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to say t1.equals. So saying t1.equals is like saying pbs.time.prototype.equals. I mean, I know that's not exactly the same, but it it sort of gets shortened up because you've already got uh,
1: a pbs.time.prototype. Yes, it gets shortened up with one special thing. This becomes t1. So when the function runs, Uh every time you see this, it's effectively t1. Okay. That's that's okay. what happens when you say t1 dot equals. You're calling the function from the prototype with the same name. Mm-hmm. So it's looking for the time ty- for the PBS dot prototype and then whatever comes out so then whatever function has the right name. So when I say t1.equals, well then it's pbs.time.prototype.equals dot equals is the function being called, with the important caveat that this is t one.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Every time, time I hear you to... say
0: a little bit more about this, I get a little bit more.
1: <laughs> yeah. So this, uh, you're calling the dot equals function on t1, which means that inside that function, this is t1. Okay.
0: Okay. Makes
1: sense. And then t2 is what you're giving as the argument, so obj becomes t2, and right. so we're checking see if t2 dot underscore hours is the same as t1 dot underscore hours, and t2 dot underscore minutes is the same as t1 dot underscore minutes, which is what we want to do.
0: This seems like a fair amount of code to have to write. For such a no, little bitty lines.
1: thing. It's nine lines. We, it's, an itty, it's an itty little bitty thing that JavaScript simply does not give you. So if you ever want to do a comparison, you have to write this yourself.
0: Yeah, it just, I understand you have to.
1: It just seems a <laughs> And if you think b- about it, it, it. it's not always obvious, right? In, in our particular prototype, it's a very simple prototype. The concept of equality is fairly easy to do here. But as you start to write more complicated objects that represent more more complex real world things, what counts as equal may get a lot fuzzier, and you may decide as a programmer that actually, when a, one of you represents the time in Julian date, and another one represents the time in some sort of bizarre other calendar. Maybe maybe the Gregorian
0: or something.
1: Gregorian or something. You may decide in your equals functions to actually do the conversions and check if they are equal to each other you could get very fancy in those equals functions okay. you, what you determine as equality could get really quite complex and it's kind of up to you as a programmer to decide what do i consider to be equal
0: for a second there i got a little bit worried i got worried that you were going to suggest that that prototypes could no. ever be something other than date or time
1: <laughs> Well, <laughs> no yes. no no
0: bart that's all they are now in my world is i i have i have them down as long as their dates or times
1: <laughs> okay, but you get, you get how the concept yeah. applies, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, that's so, a good example. Okay.
1: Okay, so let's let's go back to looking at our example here and bearing in mind that I have managed to mistype the word false on the underline four when it should be okay. true, so I've made a note to myself to fix that.
0: Okay, and there's some says um, in there too, while you're using yeah, that it one. To
1: be fixed too. I need to basically okay. all my examples have to be fixed because okay. they, are, they were written about four weeks ago before I decided we were going to use... Oh, okay. uh, yeah, we broke out into good old Node.js. Yeah. So... We've created the same two objects as last time, a T1 and a T2. But this time we're saying T1 dot equals T2 to do our equality test and T2 dot equals T1. And they're both returning true as they should because they're both 12 noon. And then we say E3 becomes equal to T1. So there, there we have two variables with the same object. But again, T1 does indeed dot equals T3. Sure. And then we say var t4 equals new pbs.time 11,30. That better not be the same thing. Exactly. So t3 equals t4, false. t4 equals t3, also false. Again, that symmetry needs to be there if you've done it right. If three is not the same as four, then four is not the same as three. Okay. You can't have it both So I, I really do want to stress the symmetry is important.
0: Is that something that we, we test for?
1: It would be something I would put in my test cases. Yeah. Really.
0: What What are the chances it's going to be wrong?
1: Uh, okay. How depending on how simple wrong. your prototype is, the chances are probably quite small. But as your prototype gets more complex, you may find yourself quite easily tripping up. Okay. You You, you may find you've made assumptions you shouldn't have. It's It's a good thing to test. So the compare to function isn't much more difficult. It just takes a little bit more thinking. So.
0: Oh my god! It's thirty three lines. I'm out.
1: so the second compare the second function is called dot compare to or so that's what i'm choosing to call it uh it expects one argument just like equals does but it's not going to return true or false instead it's going to return minus one if the object passed should be considered less than the object the function was called on Zero, if they should be considered equal. Or one, if the object passed should be considered greater than the object the function was called on. And finally, NaN if the past value is garbage.
0: So, the, um, hang on. If the past value should be considered greater than the object the function was called on, which one is the past value and which one's the one it's called on?
1: T1 dot compare to T2. T1 is the called on. It's t1.compared to, so t1 is being called on, and t2 would be the past value. Okay. All right. Good. Yes. Yeah, so past I was value that in the print.
0: Okay. Good. Past value in good. the print. good. P and P. Got it.
1: Yeah. So the first thing we ha- so this time we don't default to false, we default to nan. So the first thing we do is we make sure that we were given something sane. So if not, type of obj triple equals object and obj instance of pbs.time return nan. Because that's the rule. If I can't do a comparison, return none. Uh, which okay. is a sensible thing to do.
0: This, by the rule, this is the convention.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I rule in okay. the most wishy-washy quotation marks <laughs> you could possibly come up with. We've always done it this way. <laughs> yes. Okay. So in this case, we actually don't necessarily check everything. So we, we start by checking the biggest thing. Hmm. So we check the hours first. Because if the hours are different, we're done. We have our answer, right? Isn't it so? The also first thing we you
0: check the seconds first. And well, no, the same, because the done?
1: seconds could be the same. No, that, that would actually give you some nasty bugs. If you check the seconds first, and once, let's say you have six seconds past five and four seconds past eight. If you check the seconds first, you get that wrong answer.
0: Why? If you check the seconds, they would be different.
1: They would be different. But if you then return based on whether one is bigger than the other. Oh, I'm sorry. We're
0: not equals to. We're in compare. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So that's why we don't have one big if statement. Okay.
1: That's why we don't have one big if statement with lots of ands. That's why we have separate chunks of code. So the first thing is check the hours.
0: You know what you have to do first? You have to make these a 24-hour clock.
1: Well, internally, they all are. Because that's what we did. That's what we did. We internally always represented as 24 hours and we only converted the 12 hour on our two string methods. Right. Okay. Good. Uh, so Look how smart if, we are. <laughs> if this dot underscore hours is less than obj underscore hours return minus one. If this dot underscore hours is greater than obj underscore hours return plus one. What case is not being picked up by those two return statements?
0: Equal to? The same as?
1: I, yes. So we are intentionally returning if they are different and we're returning either minus one or plus one depending on which way they're different.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But we're not doing anything if they're the same. That so if they're sense, the same-
0: You don't have enough information yet.
1: Precisely. Okay. So if they're the same, no return happens and the code continues to run. So then we go, if minutes is less than minutes, return minus one. If minutes is greater than obj_minutes return plus one. Again, we haven't done anything in the case where they're equal. In which case we carry on to do the same thing for seconds, and if at that stage we haven't returned yet, they must be totally equal, so then we have a final return zero at the bottom. if we ever make it past all of those other checks, well then they must be zero, so just return zero or they must be the same so return zero. I
0: hate to say this, but that made perfect sense
1: I mean it is a very simple concept, right so we're just checking starting at the biggest and working our way down so now we can test our compare two functions and Again, we're going to make T1 and T2, and we're going to make them both be noon because I'm very boring. <laughs> so when we do T1 to T2, the result is zero. When we do T2 to T1, the result is also zero, which is good because again, if this is a sort order, we really shouldn't be getting inconsistent results. Like if they are the same, they are the same. Then we make it T3, and we make it a new object with eleven comma zero, so eleven AM. Instead okay. of twelve
0: new, so t three should be less than t one and t two,
1: right? So okay. t one dot to t three returns one, whereas t three dot to t one returns minus one.
0: There you go, because we're saying is t three less than or equal to t one? It's less than, so it's a negative one.
1: Got it exactly. And again, there's a different kind of symmetry now. If t one compared to t three is a plus one, then t three compared to t one should be a minus one.
0: Ah, good point.
1: Because if, okay. if 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 T one is bigger than T two, then T two should be smaller than T one. <laughs> right, right. And then finally, we're making a T four, which is twelve comma zero comma one, one second past noon. Okay, but that's enough, right? That should be enough to to to, to be seen as different. Uh-huh. And so when we say a T one dot compared to T four, we get a minus one, and we do a T four dot compared to T one, we get a plus one. Again, the the symmetry.
0: I like it. I like it.
1: And so that actually is all there is to comparing objects.
0: You know, by the just, way, this is actually helping cement what an object is. <laughs> I know you've told me two or 300 <laughs> times, but seeing it over and over again as new new pbs.time 12,0, that's an object. Okay, new comma 12,0, that's an object. Just saying it over yeah. and over again is helping.
1: Good. And what we now need to do, the only thing really left now for for today, apart from setting you a challenge, is just to say that, okay, Let's revisit our algorithm I gave you for generating prototypes. It was a 6-step algorithm and then we added a dot .2 string and a dot .clone. So now I'm telling you it gets another step. It's now an 8-step process. You should also add a dot .equals and a dot .compare to. So to build an object, step 1, gather your requirements, specifically what data your objects need to store and what functions need to be provided. In the world of test-driven development, step 1 also includes write your tests. Ah. Step 2. Initialize your namespace and start a self-executing anonymous function within which you'll define your prototype. Step three, write your constructor. Step four, write your accessor methods. Step five, write the functions you said you were going to write. Step six, provide a two-string. Step seven, provide a clone. Step eight, provide dot equals and dot compare to.
0: I like that. It's tight.
1: And it is. That's straightforward. Yeah. So that is our algorithm now. So your challenge is, unsurprisingly... I would like you to write dot equals and dot compare to for all three of our prototypes. And as you have probably come to expect by now in the prototype, in the in the compare to and the equals for date time, you should be making use of the fact that your time and date prototypes now have dot equals functions. So the check oh, if two, right, right. if a date time is equal, you already know how to check if two times are equal. So don't rewrite the code, call the code.
0: So here's a detailed question. When we're all Mm -hmm. done with date time, we do that two string thingy. So, or when we call, when we when we call it, we say we want it in time twenty four. We want it in time twelve. And and whether you want it European or American, are are we going to be trying to write compare to's and equals that say is this American time compared to well no because it never
1: is American time right internally it is always the same integer okay. So, the internal state is not changing depending on. So, we're doing our conversions as we output. That doesn't have any effect on what's actually stored on the inside. What's stored on the inside is always three integers, one between zero and 23, the other two between zero and 59.
0: But it tells me that that, that, that dot equals and dot compare to ought to be inside before I've started squirting it out in a format.
1: It helps me understand where we are going. Well, no, I mean, it doesn't, I it, it doesn't matter where you define them in the code, it doesn't matter where you define them in the code. Because nothing happens until you say new. All you're doing is saying okay. that we're defining the ability, we're defining this function in the prototype. The, the order you define them in doesn't make any difference. None of it runs. There's No no one says Expelliarmus until someone says yeah, yeah. new. Okay. Until, until you make it, it doesn't matter. So the, the order is not relevant. I know that makes your head explode, but it's not relevant.
0: I kind of get it. I do like the fact that I don't have to worry too much about that, but I still sort of feel like I should be putting things in the right
1: place a little bit. I would Uh, suggest you put them in the order of the algorithm, because that way when you're scrolling through your own code, when you you see an accessor, you know what's below and what's above. And when you see a two-string, you know what's below and what's above, because you always write your code in the same order. And so I, I very much am a creature of habit in that regard, and my my code is always ordered the same way so that I can find my own way through my own code. Okay. So that's only half of your homework. Uh-oh. So that .equals and compare to. The other half of your homework is something I recommend people do when it makes sense. So an equals and a compare to you should always make. But sometimes, depending on what it is your, your prototypes represent, there's actually a better English word to describe bigger than and less than. And in the case of time, those words are before and after.
0: So it's the exact same thing. You're just saying call it is before and is after because then it'll be human readable.
1: Right, but not exactly exactly the same thing. Is before should be a true or false. It shouldn't be a minus one and a plus one because what you're trying to avoid is people having to do in their head is does minus one mean before? No, just write a true false function. So t1 dot is before t2 should return true or false because it either is or it isn't.
0: So let me, let me fast forward to an absurd example. Let's say I've got a lookup table, uh, with a a set of animals and I've given them a value of cuteness. So I've got, Hmm. uh, I've got kittens are first and no puppies would be first as the most, the most cutest. And then, uh, uh, kittens are after that and bunnies are after that. But if I, so I would have is cuter than. Yeah, as, as my function and then it would be true or false.
1: Yeah. And if you're doing some sort of like, if we were doing imaginary numbers or something, then we might you do is greater than.
0: I don't do imaginary numbers. That's why I'm a mechanical yeah. engineer, not an electrical engineer. And that, let that be the last we say of it.
1: <laughs> I'm kind of with you on that. Square root of minus one. It doesn't exist. Move on.
0: <laughs> Steve bought the HP. Um, let's see. I got the 11C. He got the 15C because it had an I on it. And I refused. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. As a nod towards the fact that we're heading towards test driven development, there are they're not tests, but there is test code here to test that your code does behave as you think. Okay. So again, a whole bunch of PBS I have to fix them all, so they're console.logs. Sure. But we create a bunch of objects and then we dot equals them and dot compare to them and dot is before, and in the comment afterwards that I write what I tell you the answer should be. Okay.
0: And uh you're you're using, um, let's see, you told us to do compare to, but you also told us to do is before and is after.
1: Yes, so you'll see that in, in my test code, I check that your dot equals works, that your dot compare to works, and that your dot is before works, and that your dot is after works. Okay, they so should we're
0: all... going to do, do before and after and do uh, compare to, just depending on what and you want to see. Okay.
1: Exactly. So, so basically, the, people are expect a dot equals and a dot compare to. And people hope for a dot after and a dot before and that kind of thing, but they, okay, you know, you can rely on there being equals and compared to most of the time because most people follow that convention. Okay, all right, cool. So that's that's it. Um, we next time we're going to we're going to do one more thing to our prototypes because there is a word that you have asked me about and I have told you to put it out of your mind and you have been very successful because you never asked me about it again. Oh shoot. The word is static. Static. Hmm. You've seen it in documentation for things. When we were looking at the documentation for URI.js, when we were looking at the automatically generated documentation on our PBS clock, this whole static keyword was showing up in documentation. And you asked me what static. And I very much said, uh, let's not worry about that for now. <laughs> OK, I did. Put and it I, I'm actually well. kind of amazed that you that you haven't come back to me yeah. on it. But it's that's been a hanging pointer, if for want of a better term, for about two months now. And so I would like to take that hanging thread and tie it down. And then we are finished learning things about prototypes. Then we know everything that we're going to know about prototypes.
0: Okay, well, now now it's nagging me, so good.
1: <laughs> good. Excellent. That was sort of a teaser of sorts. You, you give my memory more
0: uh, benefit of the doubt than you should. say. <laughs>
1: Okay, so let's switch gears now and let's move back to web form land. So we'll come back to a next week and now let's take our big picture view of WAI ARIA and its job in life is accessibility and we need to know about this so that we can learn forms right from day one instead of learning them wrong and then correcting it afterwards. Because like you say, you'd prefer to learn things once and I'm completely with you. So the first thing I'm going to say is that ARIA is big. ARIA is very big, and it would take me months to do a detailed course on ARIA. So we're just not going to do that. What I'm going to do instead is I'm going to show you the landscape, show you the lay of the land, and then tell you that as we need things, we will learn them. And they're going to fit into this landscape that we will understand. So being the Nosilla cast, we should talk about problems to be solved. And in the early days of the web screen readers and other assistive devices didn't have much problems because most of the web was mostly text. As okay. long as people did some really simple things like putting an alt tag on their, uh, an alt attribute on their image tags, screen readers were fine. They can deal with H1s. They can deal with paragraphs. They can deal with H2s, H3s. They can deal with links. They can deal with all that stuff. It's easy. And if you put alt text on your images, they're golden. And so that was fine for quite some time. And then we started to have fancy pants CSS and JavaScript where we were using CSS to hide things until you hover over them. And then you have drop down menus and all these kind of things. And screen readers just have no idea what to do with that kind of thing. I mean, is this some text or is this a control? Is this something the user should be clicking on or is this just some text? They don't know. They can't know because it's all being done through JavaScript and CSS. And so we need a way of telling assistive devices what's going on. Which things here can you click on? Which things here do stuff? What If they do stuff, what do they do? You know, one div looks like another div, but visually one of them might be one of those modal dialogues that pops in front of everything. A screen reader can't know that that's actually something really important that's just jumped in front of everything else and should be what's read out now. OK, yeah, it just they can't know these things because they it's all at an
0: advantage, though, when somebody's hiding something on a page.
1: OK, but if the page is particularly if the page is a web app, which let's face okay. it, web apps are everywhere now, right? Your right. Gmails, your your Flickr everything. It's all apps, really. And if you can't properly interact with the app, you are at such a disadvantage in the Web 2.0 world. And so that is the problem that needed to be solved, and to solve it, something called the Web Accessibility Initiative was created under the auspices of the W3C, which is the World Wide Web Consortium. So the Web Accessibility Initiative is where the WAI in the front of WAI-Aria comes from. Okay. And the w, like, uh, WAI has big players in it, like all of W3C. So I just scanned through the list of members, and what jumped out at me were big names like Adobe, HP, and IBM. So these are smart people thinking about this. Hmm. So in 2014, the WAI released their first finalized specification, which became an official World World Web Consortium recommendation. So basically, the W3C say what is correct on the web and what is not correct on the web, and the W3C say that you should do ARIA. Okay. It is recommended.
0: And ARIA stands for...
1: ARIA is, uh, I have it here somewhere. Yeah, where did I put it? It's, it's here. Oh, here.
0: Accessible Rich Internet Applications.
1: Yes. Accessible so, Rich Internet Applications. So it's the it's rich word.
0: part that takes you beyond alt tags. Okay.
1: Precisely. And that is what the modern web is full of. The modern web is an exceptionally rich place, and that's the problem to be solved, and that's what ARIA is for. Okay. And it's also a nice name. It's always nice when an acronym gives you a name that's nice and pronounceable, and, and ARIA sounds artistic and fancy pants. Because right. it's a musical.
0: Or it's the adorable little girl with the, with the giant knife blade in Game of Thrones.
1: I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs>
0: okay. She's a really good uh, sword, I should say.
1: Okay. So 2014 is when Arya became an official standard. It was in draft for a long time before that. And the official version today, the live current actual version in use on planet Earth is version 1.0. is what's being developed, and 1.1 is expected to have only very small changes. So the next big change is coming with 2.0, and that's probably years away yet. All right. So it's ARIA 1.0. That's where the world is, and that's what we're going to be learning about. So ARIA is big, but actually, in terms of its core concepts, it's actually very small. There's three of them. There are three core concepts that everything is built on. And the concepts are actually quite abstract when I try to describe them. But the good thing is, the more you use them, the more they will make sense. And unlike many things in computer science, the names are sane and logical. So sane and logical that most of the time you can actually just read the code and understand the meaning. So if something says role equals button, could you imagine what that might imply?
0: I, I could probably crack the code on that.
1: Right. So that is for those websites that insist on using images as buttons. The correct thing to do in the ARIA world is simply to add role equals button to the IMG tag. And then all screen readers know, ah, this is something that needs to be clicked on. That's it's as simple as that. So ARIA roles are the first of the three big picture things. By the way, so just roll- to let you
0: know, uh, to click on a button, I'm pretty sure you hit the space bar. So for the, the screen reader needs to know what command do you have to give in order to interact with that thing? Is it a what right. is it control option shift down arrow is to enter into a, a table, things like that. So the keystrokes you do right. are different depending on what information
1: it just got. That's exactly. Now, so there's a whole other aspect of ARIA that I'm not even going to talk about, which is, so ARIA has different audiences. One of, the audience we're going to talk about is web developers people writing html javascript and css aria also is written for another audience browser makers Hmm. so aria actually says that you should use the spacebar to click on things That's actually in the aria spec if you are writing a web browser and something is a button then pressing the spacebar must activate the button so that's actually a whole other aspect of aria that i'm not even talking about because we're not writing a web browser but the reason all the web browsers do the same thing is because ARIA says what they should do.
0: I thought the JavaScript would tell you what it should do when you hit it.
1: No, no, no. Huh. So, they're like, so when you tab around a web page, how that behaves is defined by ARIA. So the people writing the web browser, when you hit that tab, something else gets a square around it how all that works is to a large extent also defined by ARIA. So ARIA is telling browser makers how to make browsers and it's telling us, the programmers, how to write our web apps. Okay. And assuming that both parties play ball, things will work very nicely. And then the final audience is assistive device makers, whether they're screen readers, whether it's software or hardware, it doesn't matter. The assistive device Switches. makers are the audio audience. Yeah. Exactly. They're, so they're, they're the audience from the point of view of how do we interpret what is being told to us by the web developers. Okay, So the, I mean, that's what I say. It's big. It's very big and it's very well thought out. But from our point of view, ARIA roles define sort of what something is on the page. So the example being an image that's pretending to be a button. Well, that has a role of button. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the roles are very big picture. So Most websites will have a banner across the top of the page. There's actually an ARIA role called banner. And so if you have a big banner across the top of your page, you should actually give that containing element, whether it's a div or a span or whatever you're having yourself, you should give it role equals banner to tell a screen reader, this giant big sloth of the page, that's the banner. And then you would use another role to say, and this is the navigation bar. And another role to say, and this is the main content, and another role to say, and this is a section of content, and so on and so forth. So that the roles range from the really, really big picture stuff, like this is the architecture of the page, down to the really small stuff, this image is pretending to be a button. But they're all roles. There's also an interaction with HTML5. So, HTML5 gives you ARIA automatically in certain situations. So, If you use the HTML5 tag header, it will get the ARIA role banner automatically. If you use the HTML tag button, it will get the ARIA role button automatically. So you don't have to write open bracket button space role equals button. If you say open bracket button, it is a button, both in ARIA land and in HTML land. Okay. So a whole bunch of HTML tags have implicit ARIA roles. That's good. And if you use the right tag for the right thing, your workload for ARIA has just gotten way smaller. Way smaller. (laughs) Okay. But if you insist on using images as if they're checkboxes and images as if they're buttons and divs as if they're headers and all these kind of things, well, then you, the price you pay is you have to say role equals, role equals, role equals all over the place because you're not using the right tag, so you've got to tell ARIA, yeah, I know it's an image, but seriously, pretend it's a checkbox. <laughs> okay, so you have implicit roles and explicit roles, and then everything that has a role can have a bunch of properties. Now, they say states or properties, and I'm going to quote from the manual here, Because the distinction between states and properties is of little consequence to most web content authors, this specification refers to both states and properties simply as attributes whenever possible. So do not spend your time worrying whether it's a state or a property. They're effectively the same thing. Okay. So roles. So pieces of the page get assigned roles. Mm -hmm. And depending on the role they get, they can then have properties. So but we're a gonna button going
0: attributes.
1: We're going to call them attributes. So there might be states, there might be properties that are effectively attributes. And you'll recognize them because they all start with ARIA minus. And an example so that you have some sort of idea of what we're talking about would be ARIA minus disabled means that something with the role of button is not currently clickable. So if you're using an image as a button, you might say IMG role equals button, ARIA minus disabled equals true. Okay. Or aria minus disabled equals false.
0: That's an example the only of something that would be obviously a state. Right exactly. But it doesn't matter.
1: It doesn't matter, yeah, okay. because you might also call it a proper well, that's probably not a good example of a property, exactly. Um another one is so some properties slash states can be can exist anywhere. They're not role dependent. And a, the classic example is aria minus hidden, means the screen reader. Should ignore this. It doesn't matter what it is. The screen reader should ignore it. If you say aria-minus-hidden equals true, the screen reader will ignore it.
0: What what's an example of something you'd want to hide
1: from a screen uh-huh. reader? So now, now park that for two minutes. Okay. So roles are what something is. The properties are sort of the properties and states are the properties and states of things that have roles, and depending on your role, different properties and states are possible. The final piece of the puzzle is keyboard navigation. When you tab around the page, what what order do things highlight in? So that's the final aspect of ARIA, is this concept that you need to be able to use the keyboard to make your page go. That's that's the final bit of ARIA. So there are the three pieces. And really, from our point of view as programmers, the final piece is done through an HTML attribute called tab index. When something has a tab index, you can tab to it. So if you should be able to different
0: tab... tab indices,
1: the tab index will tell you which order things go on. So the tab index of two will be where you go to when you hit tab on whatever has a tab index of one. OK. Then the next time you hit tab, you go from the next highest number, the next highest number, the next highest number. So the but tab see, index is tedious literally...
0: if I decide to insert something between two things, then I've got to go through and renumber everything I did after no. that.
1: You can, we'll go into it in more detail, but you can, if you give it certain values, what you basically mean is stick it in the order it comes in the page. Oh, okay. And you would only overwrite that page order when you intentionally wanted something to jump in a funny way. Okay. So by default, you would probably let it go with the flow of the page, but you have the power to supersede. Okay. But if you don't give it a tab index at all, it never gets tapped to, which is why you don't tab to paragraphs because they don't have tab indexes. So let's get practical. For a very, very short amount of time. So you asked me why might I want to set something to ARIA minus disabled equals true. Well, the answer is some things are purely ornamentation. Okay. They do not add content. They don't add information. They're just a visual cue to either make the page look more appealing or they're a visual cue that only makes sense to visually looking at a page. And the example... Is when we were looking at buttons, the final where we left our story with buttons was we'd looked at these cool things called um glyphicons and we'd put a cool little glyph icon inside our button so that the save button had a little floppy disk icon, right? And we did that by saying span class equals fa space fa minus save slash span. So we now have this completely superfluous tag on our page. And that may confuse a screen reader. What what on earth is going on here? There's this element in the page that makes no sense. Well, to be absolutely sure, the screen reader just ignores it. You say ARIA minus hidden equals true. So our little span becomes span class equals FA space FA minus save space ARIA minus hidden equals true. Close the span. And that's basically said this bit here is just decoration. Ignore it. Assistive devices.
0: It seems like that would be a fair amount of work to think about your code to that level as you're doing it. I'm wondering how lazy people probably get and say, ah, um, screw it, let it read it out loud. I don't care.
1: Well, to some extent, it's building up habits. To other extents, you can use JavaScript to automate a lot of the ARIA stuff. Uh-huh. So you might write some JavaScript that just goes through your entire document and says, everything with a class of FA, shove ARIA minus hidden into it.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, that's what so I'd it. like to do it. Otherwise my uh, website's uh, going to be all over fafa save.
1: Uh, there, there's also um a lot of the 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 toolboxes, the third-party libraries that people use to develop web pages will do the kind of aria automation as part of their standard feature set.
0: Oh, that's cool. Good.
1: So we're going to talk about a thing called Bootstrap and Bootstrap does a whole bunch of aria stuff for you automatically.
0: Ooh, yeah. I have a vague idea of what Bootstrap is. At least I know what it does.
1: So, yeah, yeah we're not piece. going to talk about Bootstrap just yet, but it's 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 on the horizon, actually, coming up quite quickly. Um, and they, it, again, is aware of ARIA. So, really, if you use the right tags and don't do funny stuff, you don't actually have a lot of ARIA to do. So, I didn't have to say button role equals button because I used the button tag, whereas if I had pretended that my button was a button by using a div or something or a link then I would have had to put in more ARIA stuff. So basically, the more you do things by the book, the less ARIA you have to do. But as soon as you start to do Fancy Pants stuff, then you have to remember the screen readers.
0: Fancy Pants for no reason.
1: It's not only for no reason. You may want to have a star rating. That's not something HTML does out of the box. There is no HTML tag for a star rating, but it is a reasonable thing to want to be able to provide. Okay. So when you start to invent your own UI, when you go above and beyond the defaults HTML gives you, then you have to do the ARIA stuff.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: But wherever you stick to the defaults, wherever you stick to the out-of-the-box stuff, the ARIA stuff is taken care of in HTML5. So if you do HTML5, you get a whole bunch of accessibility for free. And then you only have to do the hard work on the stuff that goes beyond the HTML5. And then it becomes much more manageable because you're already reinventing the wheel. So just remember the disabled and you'll be fine.
0: Right, right.
1: So that's actually all I wanted to talk about today.
0: Well, I want to give one plug for what you've been teaching us here. And I can't can't pretend that I can write any CSS yet. We've been talking about that offline. Um, But I I got to use what you've taught me the other day. And it yep. took me two years to achieve this objective, but um, my uh, tax accountant uses ShareFile. And ShareFile is this really cool tool. It's a very secure way of sending uh, documents up to the web for him to be able to get to my tax documents. It's great. It, I love it. It's like, click here, upload, drag, boom, done. I mean, all my tax information. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful thing, except it's missing something. There's no log out button. Oh, personally, I'm fond of log out when I'm securely logged into something with my money involved. It's just a thing. I, you know, I'm funny. Yeah, I like that. Right. So I complained about it to him one year, uh, two years ago. And he was like, blah, blah, I'll send that on to blah, blah, blah. And then last year I complained about it again. But then, towards the end of the tax season, I realized I started moving my mouse around the, the screen. And I realized that if I went across to the t- upper right, actually, I may mm-hmm. have figured this out by going to a generic share file site. But logout is supposed to be in the upper right-hand corner. So I started moving around, uh-huh. and all of a sudden, my cursor turned into a little finger. And then I realized what they've done is they've – I realized in the upper left was the name of his firm. And I said, you know what's happened? The webmaster has styled the page to make it white, and the text was probably white, something along those lines, right? So I mentioned it So it's that there. Was, yeah, it's there. So I'm the only customer of his who knows how to log out, but I'm thinking for everybody else. So I yell at him last year and he's like, blah, blah, blah. I'll send it on, blah, blah, blah. So this year I said, all right, dang it. I went into to the develop menu and I hovered over that until I found out the name of it. I found the line in the code. It's like line, you know, 237,643. I took a screen snapshot of that. I drew an arrow to it. And then I took a screenshot of, but that same screenshot had my, my, the little finger hovering over where the logout button should be pointing to the two things saying, send this to your webmaster for crying out loud. You know what? He got it fixed. fixed yep hey he sent me an email, and the best part was there's other buttons there's a there's a oh, help, there's, more. there's a help button there's a search button we didn't even well, that know. Yeah. And he's all excited, too, because he said, who knew those other buttons were there? But it took me, uh, you know, three tax seasons. But I feel I feel good about helping everybody else find the darn log up
1: button. <laughs> well, Good. So that's a service you've done to all the customers. Exactly. I'm sure nobody else
0: is going to notice. But still, it was because of the stuff you've taught me and the tools you've taught me that I knew what to look for. And I, I don't even know if I was on the right line, but it looked like it to me. It looked kind of like the right things.
1: Well, it was enough to get the web dev to, to do his thing, right?
0: Yeah, yeah or her thing, depending on uh, who it was. Yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, I, that was my big achievement of the week. <laughs> cool. Excellent. All right, well, this was fun. I'm, I, uh, I think I understand it and looking forward to learning more about it.
1: Yeah, so next week I am going to teach you some new form elements because we now know enough to do that. So next week we are going to learn, uh, not next week, two weeks okay. from now, next time. I keep saying next week, I mean next time. We are going to learn about checkboxes and their cousin, but not quite the same thing, radio buttons. Ooh, how exciting. All right, looking forward to it, Bart. Okie dokie. Well, until then, uh, ooh, happy computing, that's it. I hope you've
0: enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. We are now supported by Patreon, so if you go over to podfee.com Patreon, you can pledge your support to the show in weekly installments. If you don't have money to spare, I understand that. And it would be great if you used our Amazon affiliate links when you buy things on Amazon anyway, and a little bit of money goes to help the show. I love feedback, so please send me email at allison at podfeed.com. And you can join in our Facebook group over at podfie.com/ slash Facebook and our community at podfie.com slash Google+. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.